gosh, you've got three minutes. Okay, just go check your emails. I opened up my emails. It's an email from Sweat saying, hey, look, we'd love to explore potentially working with you. And I remember just putting my head in my, like, in my lap. I just burst into tears because this is something I talked about. I was like, and then for it to actually happen, I was like, are you serious? Like, this is actually happening for me. Like, how crazy is this? And then I was like, oh my gosh, you need to regroup. You have to go coach another class right now. Hi guys, Anna, welcome back to the Rage Active podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to help you live an active and inspired life. I'm your host, Rachel J, and I'm so excited to welcome my guest to the show today. She is the high intensity strength trainer over at the Sweat app. She's also the co-founder of The Ground Australia up in Cairns, and she's a nutritionist and weightlifting coach. Welcome to the show, Cass Olholm. Thank you, Rachel. I'm so excited to be here and um, nervous too. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm I'm very honored because this is your first ever podcast interview. So so thank you for agreeing to be on my podcast. It's so amazing. <laughs> thank you. No, thank you. Now you're up in Cairns and I feel like you guys have kind of escaped a lot of what's going on with COVID, to be honest. I was up there June, July, and I got out of like Melbourne winter and it's beautiful up there. I'd never been to Cairns before. Um, and it just seems like a really it's an easy place to be active up there really, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. Like uh, you would have been here so in winter yeah. and obviously the coldest we get is like 25 degrees yeah. Celsius, which is like beautiful and perfect. And it's such a tropical laid back place with, you know, we have access to so many hikes and mountains and beaches and. Yeah, just along the marina. So. And like one, one of the cool yeah. things I really love about it is because there's, I guess Cairns doesn't really have a beach as such. Like you can't really, well, you can. Not really. Not really, but they have that beautiful lagoon. And so mm-hmm. people listening, if you've never been to Cairns before, it's basically like an outdoor swimming pool, but you can just go there. You don't have to pay to go in. You just can lie there and they've created this beautiful like beach, essentially like a fake beach, I guess, yeah. because there's no beach there. But um, so it was really nice to kind of check out, you know, your stomping ground, your home. And you've been you know, pretty active in your life from very early on. And I'm interested to know, can you take me through the evolution of how you started in sport and how you transitioned then into health and fitness as a career? Yes, I guess my whole life I have been very active, which um, I'm very grateful to have have done so. So as a child, I played every sport under the sun, which now as a parent myself, I'm like, oh, my poor parents driving me everywhere. <laughs> um, soccer, hockey, triathlons, gymnastics, touch football, all that kind of thing. Oh my gosh. I know. And then, you know, outside of sport, I was still very active. I grew up on a farm, which I was very lucky to have done. So it was, you know, riding my push bike and my motorbike and running around the dogs and swimming. So I was, I was always active. It was just a part of my lifestyle. Um, moving into high school, I really valued my education. So, you know, you can't do every sport under the sun and still try and do really well at school. So I had to knuckle down and kind of choose one. And I guess I found naturally I was quite good at running. Um, some people think I'm crazy. Some people totally agree with the love of running. I enjoyed it as well. Um, so that is something I guess I then uh, was quite competitive at and really focused on. So um, I can be at state level from year seven right through to year 12 in both track and field and cross country. So both disciplines. Wow. I then moved post-school. I moved to Brisbane to study my bachelor in health science nutrition to become a nutritionist. That point in my life was probably the point in my life. I wasn't as healthy as fit um, or least healthy and least fit I've ever been. I guess 
you know, you've got a new sense of independence, you're surrounded by, you know, the uni lifestyle. And I'm a very performance-driven person, so I didn't really have any performance-based goals I was kind of working towards. Mm. Um, I then moved home after I graduated, back to Cairns, and that is when I met my now husband uh, close after moving home. And he had just started uh, training at a group strength and conditioning, like CrossFit like facility. And I was like, hey, like you're pretty fit. Like, why don't you come do this with me? And I was like, okay, yeah, no worries. Like, I can run. I can give this a go. And I walked in there and there's people throwing barbells around and dumbbells <laughs> around and kettles and some guys over there doing pull-ups. And I was like, no, dude, like I can run and I can probably jump on that box over there, but I, I can't do yeah. this. Like, what have you got me into? And I, I felt so out of my comfort zone and, you know, I, I couldn't leave. So <laughs> I, I stuck through it and, um, you know, I did every push-up, struggled to do them on my knees. Like I, I had zero upper body strength. And as I said, I was so out of my comfort zone in this, but there was something about it that made me hungry to do better. Or I, I wanted, I, I wanted to get good at this. And I, even though I wasn't good at it, um, I really enjoyed it. And I think if you find a style of training that you enjoy, that that's a complete game changer, no matter what it is, that's a game changer. Yeah. Um, and I saw the beginner progress that you see at the start of trying something new. And, you know, that itself was a, a process. And I, I kept seeing progress. I kept seeing progress. And then I guess I saw that or everything I was building in my training, my confidence, my determination, um, realizing how capable and strong I really was, and then having that reflect outside of my training and everyday life mm. as well. And it was that point I went, if I can do this, everyone else, particularly women, can do this too. Like there was no reason if I can do it, they can't do it too. Yeah. And I guess what's that? That's what inspired me or lit the fire to want to show women in particular, you know, how capable you are and how strong you really are. And I guess. From there, you know, I've been doing this style training for nearly 10 years now. Wow. And it was at that point I went, you know, I'm, I'm going to do that. So, you know, I got myself credited as a trainer and a weightlifting coach and all these other things so that I was credible. And that goes hand in hand in being a nutritionist as well. And I guess that's what then stemmed my um, career in this industry. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing too, because I feel like a lot of uh, health and fitness coaches, we all sort of have some sort of story that brings us to a particular style of training that we gravitate to. And then we mm. realize that, you know, this is amazing and we want to help other people and take other people on that similar journey that we've experienced. I think it's interesting hearing you talk about coming from a track and field sort of basis, a more fitness or cardio, I would say, related training to then yes. a strength or more yeah, weight weight training or, or strength training. And that style of training, I think, um, can be quite intimidating for a lot of people, like you, you mentioned even for you when you walked into it. And I think just females in general tend to have, a, as a generalization, have a view about strength training and what it might do to their bodies, what the effect would will be, will they get too bulky and all those kinds of things. Can you explain your take on weight training for women who may be thinking these kinds of things? Yeah, so I guess that is a massive misconception um, in the fitness industry that, you know, you start to lift weights and whatnot. As a female, you will become bulky, for lack of a better word. And for most people, that's not always the physique that they're looking for. Um, unfortunately, though, or however, I should say, it is a massive misconception. Like, it is so far from true. I mean, if that is what you are desiring, a bulky physique, if that's what you're really looking for, you need a 
tailored training program that's specifically tailored to you, tailored to your menstrual cycle. And that is also with the intention of trying to put on that bulk size. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If that's what you're trying to do. Like, you know, a, a bulky physique is still a very beautiful physique. Mm-hmm. Coupled with that, you also need a very tailored, personalized, intentional nutrition plan. Mm-hmm. And even with those two things, that will still take years to achieve. It'll still take years for you to achieve that bulky physique that you're, you're wanting to achieve. So as a female, without a training plan, with that intention, like you still have a training plan, but that's not your intention to put on, uh, you know, put on muscle. size, yeah. exactly, uh, or a nutrition plan to accompany that. So without one or the other, it's going to be really hard for you to do that, not to mention biologically, for us, we don't have the hormones that is, is going to do that for us like guys do. You know, we have to try so much harder just to get the size gains that that they can. Yeah. And that's just biologically the way we are made, yeah. um, unfortunately for us. Yeah. <laughs> and you take me, for example, I've been doing this for nearly 10 years and you wouldn't call my physique bulky and for what I can do and the weight I can lift, mm. it, it, again. Yeah, it's, it's just a totally different thing and I think – that's the thing I think if you're new to weight training, that's the the presumption is that you are going to get bulky. But it it like you said, it does take a long time with that intention to bulk and uh, alongside yes. a, a nutritional program that is going to assist with that. I'm, I'm interested to know, kind of coming back to CrossFit or that style of training, what was it about, aside from gaining the strength, but what was it about that that really made you want to keep going because oftentimes when we come to some sort of training that's new um, it doesn't always stick and obviously when you you start anything you're a beginner and things are difficult so what is it about this style of training that you really love so much? I think it comes down to there's a few things so I guess for me personally kind of like what I said before I really enjoyed it. And that's and that's a game changer, whether you find bar or boxing or swimming, whatever it is for you, if you enjoy it, that's a game changer because you're going to want to do it. It's it's part of your lifestyle. It's not a chore. So mm. that was massive for me. I found I really enjoyed this style of training. And I think also because I'm very intrinsically motivated, um, I love challenging myself and I was way out of my depth with this. So I was challenged in all areas in strength, in skill. Um, there's a lot of skill that comes to, to this sport as well. You can be strong enough to do certain movements, but if you don't have the skill to execute it, you know, you, you need to learn that as well. Um, and you can just be challenged in so many areas, endurance, strength, mm. speed, the whole lot. So, yeah. uh, and then of course, almost, you know, when you see progress, that's rewarding, you know, and you want to see more progress and more cr- progress. So I think it was a, a few of those elements that, you know, kept me in this, in this um, discipline, I guess. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about intrinsic and extrinsic goals? Because I think this is one thing I think as coaches we understand, but for our clients, when we speak to them, I, I feel this is, this is the approach that we also need to find intrinsic reasons for doing some sort of training. Because oftentimes, I don't know if you find this in your practice, that people either want to find some sort of aesthetic goal, it's something external mm-hmm. to them. And that often is the the reason why it's brought them into the gym or whatever. But why do you think it's so important to also have those intrinsic goals as well? And what are they exactly for people who don't really know what they are? I guess um, if you're using external motivation, uh, it is hard because we're all so unique, uh, whether it's an aesthetic uh, motivation or whatever it is I want to look like her or or whatnot that 
that is hard to measure. At what point do you and do you not look like her? Or, mm. you know, at what point am I toned and am I not toned? Like, where's the line for, oh, I'm toned today and I wasn't toned yesterday? You know, there's no, yeah. there's no metric for it. Intrinsic motivation, and I think one of the biggest, uh, best intrinsic goals you can set for yourself is a performance-based goal. Uh, whether that is, and I, I do that for myself, I really try to instill that with my community. I want to be able to run a kilometer without stopping. I want to run 5Ks under 30 minutes. I want to do a 100-kilo deadlift. Whatever it is, I want to do a pull-up unassisted. Whatever it is, there's a line in the sand. I can do a pull-up. I can't do a pull-up. I can pick up that barbell. I can't pick up that barbell mm-hmm. or, or run. Whatever it is, there, there's a metric for you to gauge your progress on. Then in turn, because we are very adaptable organisms, we want to get good at what we're doing and efficient, usually there will be an aesthetic byproduct of doing that. Mm. So even though you are focused on performance, you will find that your body will aesthetically change in order because you're surrounding yourself in an environment where it's it's having to do that. Yeah, it's having to adapt. Um, exactly yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's 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 great to hear that that's what's driven you as well because I think I think once you come to any kind of training, you notice that the intrinsic goals that you have will drive you further in terms of motivation to keep going because you do want to progress. And it is about, I mean, I always say it's about progress, not perfection, right? And we want to yes. we want to always just get a little bit better every time we step into the gym or every time we do whatever movement practice that we're, that we're doing. Um, now, it's been, for you, it's almost been one whole year, I think, since you joined the team over at Sweat, which has been incredible an incredible opportunity and so I'm I'm so interested to know how that came about for you tell me talk me through what happened yeah um I mean you can see the smile on my face (laughs) listening can't see it but you can see it this I'm just gonna start saying like this has been a massive dream come true um you know it is such an honor to be aligned with sweat to be aligned with the other sweat trainers It, it is truly a dream come true it was something that you know, I came across Sweat a number of years ago and I was like, wow, you know, I'm, I feel like my values are so aligned with them and with the trainers, like with Kayla and the other trainers that were on there. Like, I remember talking to Jake being like, could you imagine, like, could you imagine doing that? Like, I, that was something I would so love to do. But then at the same time, I was like, Cass, like, you know, this opportunity doesn't get thrown around to everyone. Like, like, let's also be realistic at the same time. And then it was when I was pregnant and I was in Japan with my family. We were skiing. I wasn't skiing. I was like, I was pregnant. Um, <laughs> And I received a DM from Kayla. And for those of you who don't know, Kayla is seen as co-founder of Sweat, queen in the fitness industry. Queen. So this I is like the, literally... the biggest fitness app in the world, <laughs> basically. I feel like everybody should know about Sweat. But if you don't already know, look it up. <laughs> I, yeah. So I received a DM from her and I just said to Jay, I was like, oh my goodness, I've made it. Like Kayla has, has messaged me. I've made it in this industry. Um, <laughs> and she happened to be also be pregnant. She was about six weeks ahead of me. So... Uh, it was nothing to do with sweat. We just chatted. Uh, I think she actually started with, you know, I bet you're having a boy because I was very lucky not to be having any morning sickness and she was in bed with morning sickness having a girl. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And we just chatted mostly about pregnancy, training and, and be, having an active pregnancy, that kind of thing. Um, and, and no sweat talk. It was just almost building a friendship, I guess. Yeah. Um, it was a few weeks later. I was back at work. I was coaching. I had two back-to-back sessions I was coaching. And between the sessions, I had like two, three minutes between the changeover, like people were leaving the class, the new class was coming in. Something told me to go check my emails. I don't know what it was. I was like, gosh, you got three minutes. Okay, just go check your emails. I opened up my emails. There's an email from Sweat saying, hey, look, we'd love to explore potentially working with you. And I remember just putting my head in my, like, in my lap. 
I burst into tears because this is something I talked about. I was like, and then for it to actually happen, I was like, are you serious? Like, this is actually happening for me. How crazy is this? And then I was like, oh my gosh, you need to regroup. You have to go coach another class right now. Like, stop crying. And I think if anyone was sitting on the sidelines watching me coach that class, they would have just been like, why is she smiling? Like, did she love her job that much? Like, so I guess, and then, you know, obviously had to have Charlotte and then go from there. there. Yeah. It's it's been so amazing too, because I think that, you know, hearing that story, it's, it's, it's almost, I mean, I don't know if you, are you the kind of person that's like, what I put out there, I attract back, that kind of person? I, yes, yeah. yes, I am big on yeah. that. Yeah, so I mean, you know, you sort of put it out there and 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 it's come back to you, which is so amazing. Yeah. So talk me through your specific program at Sweat because obviously, like you said, there's a few different trainers that have different programs there mm-hmm. um, and they all have differing, I guess, intentions. So tell me about your specific program. What does that entail? And I guess what people will get out of it when they do your program. Yeah. So my, I have two programs. I have high intensity strength and high intensity strength at home, which is essentially, you know, a a modified version for those, not, not necessarily any easier, just using less equipment to make it more accessible. (laughs) Preface that one. Um, and essentially it's combining, um, high intensity training with functional movement as well as, uh, Olympic lifting, which is kind of the the very flair point of difference, I guess, within my training is the Olympic lifting side of it. Mm. Uh, it's more of an intermediate to advanced style of training. So it's, it's not necessarily for a beginner. Um, however, if you're someone who has done a little bit of weightlifting, that kind of thing, you know, there's foundational weeks to introduce you to the style of training and then take you further. And the idea behind that is, you know, for me to show you that, these movements, which are quite hard, or, you know, these, these workouts, which again, I've programmed, you know, they're not easy, they're challenging, but to show that you can do them. And it's to to show you that, you know, improve to yourself that you are capable, that you are strong and much more capable and stronger than you realize, I guess. Mm. And I think that's good too, to Mm. know that there's a, I guess, a pathway to it, because you're obviously, you're not just going to go straight in and be lifting these super heavy weights or whatever. Um, And to also learn technique, right? That's another thing I think Mm. too, with weights is that if you have improper technique, that's when things can go a bit pear-shaped, you know, and so having a program that can actually guide you through. Now, tell me about the Olympic lifting. And I guess... What does that do for you, I guess, in, in terms of like if you were to do that, why is that incorporated into the program basically is what I'm saying. I, yeah, I guess, well, I wanted to create a program that was very true to how I trained mm. um, and how I, I how I coach people, I guess, at my gym. Um, so I wanted to do the same thing and, you know, give that access to everyone who, who wanted to do this style of training. I guess Olympic lifting is different in a sense that, of course, it requires strength, but it requires the skill for you to move the bar in a certain pathway in order for you to actually do that. So you do need to build um, skill in that area to execute it. But my program takes you through that. Like it's a progressive program. So we don't just go, okay, here's the really hard final movement. We go, okay, let's, here's the first progression. And then we're going to take a step further and a step further so that you can, I guess, you know, learn that for yourself um, yeah. along the way. Yeah. It's making that progress. I think that's great too, because you want to take those baby steps like with anything. You you want to take a step, see the progress, get excited about that achievement and then move to the next step and, and keep moving forward. Um, so that's really cool. And the other thing that I, you know, sort of had – I've heard you talk about this um, I think a lot on socials and, and just generally is – prior to all of this stuff, prior to sweat, prior to you doing all of this stuff online, um, 
you were you were actually volunteering in Vietnam like 10 years ago. You are working as a nutritionist and also talked about then sort of being quite self-conscious and shy and, and lacking confidence, which I'm sure a lot of people would be like, um, Cass, I don't think so. But <laughs> now that we see you on all these, you know, amazing online workouts. So can you tell me about those days and I mean, what were you most self-conscious about? What was going on for you at, at that time in your life? Yeah, so I guess if you, yeah, if you told me 10 years ago that this would be my life now, taking photos of myself and me, you know, having someone take photos of me all the time and being online and putting myself out there to so many people, I literally would have laughed at you or, or just done a weird shy laugh of some sort <laughs> um, because I, I was a very shy person. I was a very shy child growing up. I had no confidence. I was a very um, quiet kid, a very compliant kid. I didn't speak my opinion. I just went with the flow and and that kind of thing. And that was me growing up. Um, I doubted myself a lot. Uh, that was just, I guess, that was just who I was growing up. And uh, it's really hard because I guess in this style of interest, sometimes you want to do before and after photos to try and say like, you know, this is where I am now, but it didn't happen overnight. This is what I used to be like. But it's really hard for me to find before photos because I would do anything to be the person taking the photo. Mm. Or I'd be like, no, no, you guys get a group photo. And I'd kind of stand off to the side because I was so, that was just who I was. I was so shy. I was so, I was really lacking that confidence. Um, and I guess, and that's why I say now, if you told me that 10 years ago, what I'm doing now is my job. I'd just like, yeah, right, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I guess the turning point for me was starting this style of training because what it showed me is uh, how capable I was, how strong I was, and it empowered me in a way where my confidence and my self-worth grew within my training. And then that was weird as it sounds, started to reflect outside of my life in my everyday life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that didn't happen overnight, that, that slowly grew and, you know, you know, allowed me to see what I was capable of and what my worth was and that that is enough. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's quite common too. Like I think we were talking about it earlier that, yeah, if you, you move into something that I think also challenges you, that's, a, that's yes. the thing that you never think, you never thought that you would ever be able to do something like that. You just never pictured, pictured yourself doing that kind of training. And then that in turn helps you see, oh, I can do that. I, yeah, I, did, I can yeah I can yeah. do that like I didn't think that I could but I actually now that I'm doing it I actually can and then and then that applies to other areas of your life I mean I've found that too with boxing I when I started boxing I I never thought that I would ever box I was terrible when I started um and I'm a boxing coach now and so you just see how far you've come just in that sport or in that style of training yeah. and then you're like okay so I can actually I can actually do that which is which is so awesome so you've also talked about this if you had a piece of advice to give your younger self, I've, I've heard you talk about this, that it would be to not allow the fear of judgment to hold you back from doing what you want to achieve. So I'm really interested to know what were those moments in your younger days? Were there any, was there any specific moments that you remember about being scared of being judged and what were you most afraid of being judged for? I guess I've spent um, a lot of my life, I guess, and that comes also, you know, being very self-conscious and all those kinds of things are very quiet that um, I felt that whatever decision I made, people were watching or people were judging you kind of thing. Um, so there's not really anything big that stands out. It was just kind of a, 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 
process or a, a thought pattern that continued to happen. I mean, when I moved home from Brisbane to Cairns, I was worried that people were like, oh, she's moving home, like she's going backwards or, mm. you know, even trying to put myself out there on social media, you know, people being like, oh, you know, who are you to do that yeah. kind of thing? And I guess the turning point for me with all of that was, you know, and it's it's still not, I think that's a process. It's not something like, oh, I don't care what other people think now. And as much as it'd be so nice to say, who cares what people think? Um, unfortunately, for the majority of us, we do. Yeah. Um, and I guess that does hold us back sometimes. And for me, it did hold me back in a lot of things. I didn't put myself out there or go for opportunities that I could have and and done a lot of things that I wanted to do. And I guess a lot of the internal pep talks came when I decided, okay, what do I can like what do I care more about? Do I care more about what these people think or what these people are gonna say? Or do I care more about achieving this thing or doing this thing? And and would I be sadder or more upset? if I didn't achieve this thing or would I be more sad or upset about what these people are saying or thinking about me? And that's what it came down to. And it was like, you know, I, I would regret or I'd be so upset if I never went for this thing. And as much as I do, unfortunately care what these people think, I care about this more. Yeah. It was just a perspective thing, I guess. Yeah. I think that's a really great way to look at it in and ask yourself those questions about, will I regret not trying this or will I regret mm. not doing this? And it's a really great way to kind of overcome that fear of, I guess, being judged by what other people think. And like you said, we're all, we all, I think, mm. are conscious of that. We're all sort of like, you know, not necessarily it stops us from doing things, but we're conscious of of how other people perceive us. And especially now. I think also because it's a social thing, I think it's a survival mechanism. You know, you want to fit in, you want to survive within you know, you want to be accepted, that kind of thing. So I think as social beings too, it's almost intrinsically built in us that we want to be accepted, I guess. Yeah, of course, definitely. And it's something that we can't escape. And especially now, I think with social media being so massive and a normal part of our life, because it never used to be, right? You know, 10 years ago, we didn't really have Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is that, you know, no. the 50 million things that we're on at the moment. But, you know, now that you have sort of, Built. I mean, you've got a massive following, obviously with a sweat community and and just with your socials in general. What has been your experience like with you know negative comments or things like that on social media, and how have you dealt with it? Look, I have been pretty lucky in the sense that I don't receive a lot. You know, you still do, mm -hmm. uh, and I think there's a bit of a consensus out there it's like well if you want to put yourself out there you should expect it and that should just be you know you should just accept the the negative stuff that comes your way which I don't fully agree with because it's like saying to uh you know the girl working at the supermarket in the afternoon she's on the five o'clock shift when everyone's coming home from work and they're grumpy from their work day and they're really rude to her it's like oh well if you want to do that shift like that that's up you you have to mm. you have to deal with that rudeness like it's kind of the same thing look I am all for healthy discussion, healthy conversation. Um, but when the stuff comes through that's just flat out negative, like that's to me is just I don't understand it because, look, I don't even have the time and the energy to go and throw that out to someone else's way. Mm -hmm. If I don't agree with what someone's saying, I usually just move on. So I find it really hard to understand for myself when it comes my way. But like I said, comparatively, I don't cop a lot, which I'm very grateful for. And I think that comes down to two things. I think one, I do keep a level of privacy, especially since having Charlotte. Yes. Um, it's made me really evaluate what I do and don't share. And I think the other one is any, any negative stuff that does come my way. It's not normally from someone who even follows me. So they don't really know what I'm about or what I do. And that's why I think because my community real sees that what I'm trying to achieve on here, I'm, you know, not just trying to show off my life. I'm 
trying to educate. I'm trying to empower. I'm always trying to help my community Mm. in some respect. And I feel like they see that. Yeah. I mean, it's so good to hear that you haven't really had to deal with much of that. But the other thing that you just touched on there was having this, I guess, boundary around your private life as well. And it's, I feel like what I've noticed is a lot of people share a lot. And I think some of the some of the messaging that perhaps we hear is that you need to be more authentic. You need to be more open and vulnerable. You know, this is the thing that like, this is what people like and whatnot. So can you kind of tell me about your decisions around making, because I'm very similar to you. I like to keep a lot of my private life quite private. And I kind of see social media as being work in a way. And it's a way to educate, entertain, um, inspire other people in this, you know, sort of space, health and wellness, health and fitness. So how did you sort of come to, was that just a conscious decision where you're like, this is what I'm doing? Or how did that kind of, how did you kind of come to decide that for yourself? So I guess um, for me, like I still definitely show up authentically. Like what you see is what you get. I'm always bringing my real, real authentic self to the, to the screen. Mm. Um, I just feel, I guess, particularly with Charlotte, as I said before, that kind of was a real turning point for me. You know, a lot of people do show, you know, their kids ready for bath time and stuff like that. And for me, I wasn't comfortable with that. That's her life. I I don't feel like that's for me to show online kind of thing. And I guess showing all these other parts of my life that I felt, you know, didn't really add any more positive impact to my audience. I, I didn't want it to distract from what I was trying to achieve. Like you said, this is, this is a job. It's a job I love and it's a passion at the same time, but I didn't want to distract like, here's my makeup routine or, yeah. or whatever it was um, from what I was trying to achieve with this platform. And that was to, you know, as I said before, educate, inspire, empower and everything through a health and fitness lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, re- I think it's really healthy, I think, to set those boundaries too. And especially, For sure. especially when you have you know, so many people watching what you're doing. Now, tying this in with comparison, because I have also heard you say that you don't really like to talk about your specific body fat percentage and those kinds of things because you don't want people to compare, which I think is awesome. So what have you noticed with either clients or people online or your community or people comparing themselves either to other people or to other fitness influencers? What's your what have you sort of noticed about all of that? So, so for me, I've never, ever publicly shared my body fat percentage um, purely based on the fact that if, if you're using that as a comparison, it'll it'll never be something that you can achieve. And if you did achieve that exact percentage, you'll never be happy with it because we are all made up so differently. Like our structures are different. You could be tall, you could be short, you could be short with short legs and a long torso or short with long legs and a short torso or the other way around uh, and, and vice versa with being tall. So our structures are different. Uh, how much fat we tend to carry is uh, usually mostly lifestyle measures. Where we store our fat is predisposition by genetics. We can't choose where it stores. We can't change where it stores. Um, so, you know, for me, I have, I'm very lean throughout the torso and I tend to put my weight on in my limbs and other people can be very like lean limbed and put their, um, store their fat in their torso area. So there's so much that is out of our control when it comes to that kind of thing that if we are trying to compare ourselves to other people and use say body fat percentage as the, the metric for comparison, you're always going to be let down. You're never going to be happy. It's, um, a really unhealthy uh, thing to be comparing, I guess. Yeah, I think it, it's really important to note that 
everybody is different and like so different. like you were saying, we store fat in different areas and the way that our body metabolizes food and and all of those kinds of things play into it. So um yeah, it's it's really great that you've taken that approach actually. I think it's um very considerate, I think, of of everyone that's watching your staff. So I do know that people like to know what trainers do in terms of training and nutrition and not as a piece of comparison. So let's put a little bit of a disclaimer. Yes. <laughs> let's just disclaim it right Inspiration. now. Inspiration. Inspiration. You can take little pieces and, and work it into your own uh, routine. But what does a typical week of training look like for you? What kind of training do you do? How many times? All those kinds of things. So I usually train five times a week. Uh, four of those will be, you know, your strength conditioning, high intensity strength style training. Um, one of those will be a run. So I love my 5k Fridays. That's what I do every Friday. Oh, that's nice. Uh, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So four gym sessions, one run, they're my five training sessions. I'll usually go for a walk on one of my rest days and then, you know, I'll have a full rest day as well. In that being said, I am, I live a really active lifestyle. So you'll still probably catch me paddle boarding or, throwing the ball around at the beach or, or you know, doing something really active. But, you know, it's not prescribed activity essentially. Yeah, it's just for for fun, I guess. Yes, yes. I love that. What's your approach to your nutrition? Because you are a nutritionist, so obviously have a wealth yes. of knowledge around all of this stuff. And there's many different ways of eating, different styles of eating, different systems of eating. I know there's a lot of conflicting information out there. But what have you found works for you? So I'm very lucky not to have any allergies or any intolerances. So I am able to and do eat from all food groups. I don't restrict from any food groups except hazelnuts. You can keep them. (laughs) (laughs) Not that it's a food group in itself, but it's the only only food in the world I will not touch. Why is that? Um, Do you not like the taste of them? I do not like them. Unpopular opinion, I know, but... I know. Fun fact about yes. Cass Olholm. <laughs> yeah. Will not eat Nutella. No. <laughs> um, but I am very big on balance. Uh, obviously, when it comes to food choices, I, as you said, you know, I am able to make better informed decisions than the average person because of the knowledge and education that I have. But, you know, if I feel like pasta for dinner, I'm having pasta for dinner. Um, you know, if I feel like chocolate, I'm having chocolate. And I think keeping that balance and not restricting and all those kinds of things just you know, enables you to have a very healthy relationship with food. And, you know, that's not something that's built overnight. I don't want to say like, oh, here's how to have a healthy relationship with food. You know, food is a very emotional and and sensitive subject and our relationships with them have formed since day one. So if you aren't in such a healthy place with your food, you know, it's not something you can change overnight. And I totally understand and respect that. Um, For me, the only time I guess I'm strategic with what I eat is around my training. I ensure that I feel my body really well for my training and I, I'm really proactive with what I put into my body straight after my training. My, I guess, philosophy on that is that if you're training for that one hour really, really hard and doing all the work and you've done all that hard work and you're going to see X results, you can actually see better results just by fueling your body appropriately around that. Like you've done the hard work already. Why not see even better results? Mm. So that's the only time I guess I'm very strategic about what I eat and that's whatever time of the day I'm training, I'm making sure I'm eating well before and I'm refueling really well after. What's your suggestion then for pre and post training? Because I think a lot of people too, um, you know, they don't really know what to do. Is it like eat a banana? I mean, you know, these things kind of get thrown around and then I know there's no one hard and fast rule for doing it, but what what do you suggest? So ideally you want to eat um, some fast energy. So fast carbohydrates, whether it be banana, dried fruit, some toast, crumpets, things like that. Uh, 30 to 60 minutes prior to training and then trying to get some sort of uh, fuel back into your body within 90 minutes 
post-training. The sooner the better, but within 90 minutes is kind of, you know, your window of opportunity there. And that's something with that needs to tick the hydration box, the protein box, and the carbohydrate box. Uh, I guess the biggest barrier to that is for a lot of people who train in the morning. A lot of people don't like to eat before they train that early in the morning. Um, Studies have shown, so it's not an opinion-based thing, it's studies have shown that Eating before training leads to better performance, which thus leads to better results. So it's showing that if you eat and train, you're going to end up with better results. Mm. It it is what it is kind of thing. In saying that, I understand that not everyone likes to do that, like I said, especially for those who train in the morning. So I guess my advice there would be just try and eat something. Even if it's a couple of bites of banana, a couple of grapes, liquefy your carbs. So have a smoothie, have a juice, just have something will be better than nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, for me, I can stomach food. So I'll often jump for two pieces of toast with either jam or Vegemite and then post-training. Cause again, I train in the morning. It will usually be like a bowl of oats filled with, uh, protein powder as well to get that protein recovery hit. Yeah. So with the post, tell, tell people why post-workout is important and also, uh, supplementation because you talked there about a protein sub. So firstly, why is post-workout so important? And then your take on protein supplementation as well. Yeah. yeah so I guess it comes down to um, the, the equation I like to always refer to is like performance equals fitness minus fatigue. Mm. That's kind of my, um, yeah, equation around training and, and performance essentially. Now, the biggest recovery method is sleep. The next biggest one is nutrition. So if you can kickstart and be proactive on that recovery you're one, going to see better results from it, but two, you're going to be more recovered, ready for your next training session. Mm. Uh, So they're probably the two, um, I guess, pushes or motivators for wanting to get that post-workout. Yeah. Exactly, straight away or as soon as you can. Yeah, that refuel. And then just in terms of protein supplementation, because I think to women especially, I've definitely heard Mm -hmm. this, that they just don't know what protein supplement am I supposed to take? What is it supposed to have in it? All of those kinds of things. What is your... I guess, suggestion as a generalization, because obviously everyone is different. So this is just take this with a grain of salt. But what's your what's your take on having, what do you need in a protein supplement? Look, it comes down to preference um, in both obviously flavor. Uh, I mean, the key one, you want to look for a quality-based protein. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of them do have a lot of added stuff yeah. that is unnecessary and it just bulkers and fillers and all that kind of stuff. So looking for a quality protein powder, but in terms of it being a supplement, like it's really important to remember it is a supplement. It's not a replacement. It is there to supplement your diet. If you can't get uh, your protein through food, then it's obviously a good choice for you. It, it shouldn't be replacing food essentially, mm. um, but it can also be, you know, for the, if you're not an average person, essentially, if you're training a lot, that's not an average thing to do. Uh, you know, you might need that extra protein intake. And, you know, for me, finish training at seven o'clock in the morning. I don't, there's a lot of protein sources out there that I don't really want to consume at seven o'clock in the morning. So it is a very convenient, Mm. um, affordable, easy way to ensure that I'm hitting my protein intake. And and same for obviously, you know, a lot of women as well. Yeah. So it's just important to know, I guess, what your what your actual schedule and training is like and whether that's something that you actually need to incorporate. Sometimes some people don't need to. So that's... No, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Um, So one of the things I do like to talk to my guests about is rejection and failure because it's (laughs) it's something that we all experience, uncomfortable as it is. Um, So I am interested to know what is your biggest failure or rejection that you've experienced and what have you learnt from it? Gosh, yeah. 
what is my biggest? Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I couldn't think of the biggest one. Um, obviously, I've had, as everyone does, you have them in your life. I'm not going to be able to think of one off the top of my head. I will. You watch. We'll finish this podcast. Like, oh, I should have said that. <laughs> you watch. But I think, look, the biggest lesson I think to take away from them, though, is that it's only a failure if you unpack and give up and stay there. Otherwise, it is a lesson. Mm. Because you can sit there and go, okay, well, that sucks mm. because it does. No one's going to go, woohoo, I failed. Yeah. Um, you know, you can say, okay, that sucks. Have your moment and then go, okay, what is this trying to teach me? What can I learn from this? How can I do better in the future? Uh, how can I make it work for me next time so I don't essentially you know, fail again mm. kind of thing? Yeah. Um, big failures, little failures, I think applying the same process yeah. is kind of the outlook on that. Yeah, definitely. Just kind of taking that perspective of, you know, it's nice to to have that framing of just, okay, like this happened and I'm going to take that and I'll know for next time. At least I've learned something from that experience. The other question I want to ask you, and this is the final question, if you had an overarching statement to which you try to live your life by, what would that be? Um, no one's ever really asked me that question before. Um, I don't know if there's a specific statement or whether it's more of a set of values I probably try to, to live by. Um, I guess with everything I do, I'm trying to, I guess, have a positive impact in this world, uh, whether it's, you know, being a really great role model for my daughter or being a really empowering coach or, a, you know, a strong connecting friend or whatever it is. I think with everything I do, I'm trying to, bring that positive energy and have a really positive impact and, and leave those positive footsteps yeah. behind me, I guess. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that's yeah. great to have that intention is to show up, I guess, show up and bring yeah. bring positivity to the world, which is amazing. And the best version of myself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, you are, that's what you're doing. You know, such an amazing role <laughs> model with everything that you're doing. So I'm so, I'm so grateful that we got to have this chat. And again, thank you so much for joining me and, and allowing me to be your first podcast host. <laughs> it's been so amazing. <laughs> no, thank you. It's honestly been such an honor for me. Oh, thanks Cass. Well, where can people find you like on Instagram websites and all those kinds of things where can they find you yeah so the best place would be instagram my handle is at cass olholm so c-a-s-s-o-l-h-o-l-m perfect and we'll drop all those links in the show notes guys so that you can um, get onto cass's program and her instagram and all of that kind of stuff so make sure you check it out amazing to chat to you cass it's been so amazing and such a lovely chat i feel like everyone will get so much out of this episode so thank you again and guys thank you so much for listening make sure you screenshot this episode and share it to your ig stories make sure you tag at at Cass Olholm and at Rage Active and we'll catch you next time on the Rage Active podcast. Mm-hmm.